We're carrying on with the series in James, The Real Deal. And today we're taking up Pursuing Heaven's Wisdom. So I'd like to read you these few verses from James 3, verses 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, we've been studying James long enough to know that he's pretty blunt and he's practical and he's down to earth. And this section is no exception to that. The churches that James was writing to had seemed to have a number of faults that he was addressing. In fact, it's worth saying, sometimes we get very critical about ourselves and church today, but actually quite a lot of the letters in the New Testament, possibly most of them, have a fairly significant part of those letters is correcting faults in the churches. And some of them are written because of things that were going wrong. Uh, you could only quickly, if you know your New Testament, think of Corinthians or uh, Galatians and, and here with James. And, and th- it's not always true, but it does remind us that the imperfections and struggles and divisions that we sometimes get upset and rightly frustrated about have, have been prevalent right from the beginning. So that's a sort of slight encouragement to us. But that also means that the words that are spoken here are from God to us to correct us. And that's exactly what's happened here. This letter, originally written by James for a purpose, there was an occasion when he picked up his pen or dictated it to someone who wrote it and thought, I've really got to say this. He felt inspired. He felt stirred by the Spirit. He did it. He wrote the letter. And then, uh, as it was circulated amongst the churches, the people felt, this has got an anointing. This has got authority. This really speaks to all of us. And so it became gathered together in what we call the canon of the New Testament, as all those letters were. And what they were recognizing was a special authority, a special anointing, a special power to what was being written. So this had a lasting impact. It's for us as well. This letter is for us as, for, as much as for that first century. And James is taking on several faults in their church, faults that actually sadly still linger amongst us and, 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 and in churches today. And one of them we looked at last time I preached, which was favoritism or prejudice or partiality, whatever word you want to use. That was in chapter 2, and he really addresses that and targets that. But here, he's going for a different, another problem. Really, it's probably quarrels and disputes and divisions, which are Uh, what he actually addresses in chapter 4, verse 1. But these disputes and divisions are related to various teachings in the church and teachings that are going around among the Christians. And unfortunately, this teaching is coupled with an arrogance, an arrogance that says, we are the ones that have got it right. We are the wise ones. 
we're the ones, my teaching is the, the, the best, it's the right one, it's the wise one. And I am well qualified, some of these teachers are saying, I'm well qualified to tell you what is what. I am the one who's an expert, who's wise. And that feeling is in that. There probably was a buzzword of wisdom and what wisdom was that went around amongst these teachers and in these churches. And James, in his straightforward way, takes on the subject face on, full on, and he's going to explain what real wisdom is. Right, sit back, listen, let's talk about wisdom then. And James does that. And as I said, the Holy Spirit has inspired something that was not only relevant to them, but is very relevant to us. It is really relevant that we listen carefully to this stuff for the next half hour together because I believe it is important in our age almost more than in the first century. Because inside Christian circles and even more in the world around us, we live in the age of the expert, the pundit, the commentator, the professional, the theologian, the professor on, in the inside, the person who really knows, the expert, the talking head. We live in that age and we're bombarded with this wisdom. This person is an expert. This person is qualified to tell you. This person knows what they're talking about. And of course, they're diverse voices and they push in on us from every angle. This one really knows. This is the answer. In our day, an awful lot of store is placed on a person's education, on their title, on their role, on their expertise. Wisdom is very much associated with knowledge, particularly expert knowledge, defined knowledge, qualified knowledge, letters after your name, you are qualified to give us wisdom in this subject. And if you haven't got a position, you haven't got the qualifications, you haven't got the paperwork, you haven't got the title, then we don't take you seriously. You are not an expert. You're not wise. That, our culture is probably massive on that to such an extent that it's almost ridiculous if you stop and think about it. You know, everybody has to have something to show they're wise. They have to have qualifications. They have to have head knowledge. They have to have expertise. And they have to show it. We all, we're all doing it all the time, even in our work environments, because, you know, you've got to have the, the stuff that shows you're a, a wise one, an expert one. So I'd argue that what we are hearing here, we really need to hear even more, perhaps, than the first century. Now, James starts this section with a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? James 3.13. Now, you could just read that. That is almost sarcastic. That is a cheeky, provoking question. It's not, it's not nasty, but it's not cozy. He's challenging them straight away. And he's using in that question a Greek word in the original writing that is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. And we have that word translated as understanding in most of our English versions. But it literally means professional, funnily enough, professional knowledge. You could almost translate it expert, which is a word we are familiar with. So he's saying, who is wise? Who's the expert amongst you? Who's the professional expert? And he's asking it with an edge to his question. Who is the real expert? And then he writes on in that very, that very paragraph, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. So he's straight away saying, I'll tell you what expertise is. It's about your life. It's about how you behave. It's about humility 
and good deeds done in humility, which come from real wisdom. So he's putting down a marker right from the start. So I'm going to look at this under three very simple questions. What is earthly wisdom? What is heavenly wisdom? And how do we get heavenly wisdom? So let's start off by asking the question, what is earthly wisdom? That's in the terms of the passage we've read. I'm I'm coming at it from that way. Now, I do want to start off by saying there is a great value in study. I myself have been a school teacher in the past for 10 years. I taught up to A-level. I tried to get boys through their exams well, and many of them went on to university. I went to university myself. I am not uh, just sort of saying, well, you know, it's all rubbish, forget it. I think we need knowledge. We need expert knowledge. There are a lot of obvious benefits from people really knowing their stuff and being expert in their subject. But we need to be cautious because knowledge, even expert knowledge, is not the same as wisdom. We're not talking about the same thing quite. True wisdom, certainly as God sees it, and he's the most important one, and as the Bible portrays it, is about character as much as head knowledge, in fact more so, and depth of character. So Bible, when the Bible talks about wisdom, it always is thinking of practical outworking, that you not only know stuff, you know how to put it into practice, you know how to live it out, you know how to be fruitful in your day-to-day life with what you know. So to the Bible, there is no such thing as a wise person who talks the talk but can't walk the walk. The Bible would say if their life is a chaos and immoral, that undermines the wisdom. It may not undermine the sheer knowledge, but it undermines the wisdom that comes from them, and you have to be wary of it. They may have immense knowledge and be very, very clever, but if their character is suspect and their behavior is chaotic and immoral, you have to be very cautious about whether that's real wisdom you're hearing. You have to be shrewd about it. We'll be talking about that as we go through. The character and behavior of any individual, the character and behavior of any individual from the most experienced and professional and qualified person downwards, if you like, the character and behavior is relevant to the weight you give to their wise advice. This is, uh, why am I emphasizing it? This is not how our culture thinks. Our culture thinks it doesn't matter what your life's like, how immoral you are, how bad your behavior. You know, if you know your stuff, you've got the role, you've got the position, you can call it, you can say it. Now, the Bible comes a different way. It doesn't completely brush aside knowledge and say, be, be sort of, in a sense, um, obscurantist or obscure about it. But, but it. but it does say there is a huge question mark if you can't even, you can't even look after, you can't be faithful to your wife. I'm not sure how seriously I take your word in other things, which is not what we behave here. So we've got to get our Bible around, our mind around the Bible's approach to wisdom and be encouraged by it and challenged by it. Of course people have vast areas of useful knowledge that we rightly draw on. I mean, the list could be endless. People who really know their stuff in medicine, plumbing, law, accountancy, car mechanics, cooking, computers. We need people who know what they're doing and know how to do it. But even in those areas, people's character and their morals and their spiritual outlook are relevant 
to just how seriously we accept wisdom when it comes to value judgments and advice. I don't mean advice about what you do with the sprocket on your plug, but if they were to, you know, you've got to be cautious if they're telling you, right, this is how you spend your money, this is how you behave. You know, just because they know their stuff, that may not mean they're going to be able to give you valuable wisdom in other areas or in areas which begin to become moral judgments and value judgments. Now, if we move on beyond the obvious subjects of concrete practical knowledge, which are perhaps straightforward at one level, if we move on to other considerations, like people who would offer us wisdom in terms of life and how to live life socially, uh, how to be in good relationships, how to behave sexually, how to behave as parents, how to behave with morals and action, personal, communal, national, this advice is dangerously flawed if it's only earthly wisdom. It's dangerous. It's got all sorts of twists and spoiling to it, and you have to be very careful. Now, the fundamental problem with earthly wisdom is very simple, but it's pretty profound as well. It takes no regard of God, and that is a fundamental weakness to any wisdom, that there is no regard for God that doesn't treat God seriously, and often it dismisses God. Earthly wisdom, whatever area we're talking about, is wisdom that is purely based on human thinking, purely based on what men and women can work out for themselves, purely based on experience. And it does require a lot of experience. It may require a lot of study. One wouldn't mock that, but if there's no root of acknowledgement of God, there, is some fundam- there are fundamental flaws in it. James is quite strong in the words he used. He says, earthly wisdom is unspiritual and demonic. Wow, that's quite a strong word. When I was preparing this and thinking about it, I thought, wow, that's quite strong. <clears throat> However, and this is for all of us as Christians in this room in 21st century England, as well as those of you who may just be thinking and looking into it. I want to tell you that the Christian worldview is the most real, down-to-earth, streetwise attitude to life in the whole world. Christians who really understand their faith and understand the big picture we're talking about are the most sensible, realistic, streetwise people in the whole country. We are not naive. We're not stupid. We're the only ones that have got our heads screwed on right. And I am not exaggerating. I honestly believe it. Why? Because we understand the state of the human heart. God has made clear to us that all men and women are sinners. We're all polluted by sin. However well-bred, however clever, however educated, however knowledgeable, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, we all, like sheep, have gone astray and turned to our own way. Now, this doesn't mean everything we do is wrong. It doesn't mean everything is stupid. Everything is crazy. There is lots of But there is a fundamental tank, a flaw, a pollution that's in everything, that spoils everything to some degree or other. Everything's tainted with sin. Everything can be and sadly often is influenced by sin. What does that mean, John? It means things like this, selfish ambition, envy, hatred, bitterness, pride, greed, lust, 
self-gratification. That is in the heart of all of us. Not all of them, but they all can kank our advice. They can kank our knowledge. They can affect what we say when we're trying to be wise. So Christians need to be pretty shrewd. It's not you're going to rubbish everybody and not trust anybody, but you're not going to be naive. You're going to remember this person, this view coming through the media, this view coming through the internet, if it's not coming with a heavenly root, it's going to possibly have, likely to have, some twist in it from human sin. So I don't swallow it hook, line, and sinker. I don't swallow one extreme or the other. In a strange sort of way, I don't give myself to any wisdom. I listen carefully and prayerfully and thoughtfully. I understand how the world works. I understand the human condition. I love people. This is not about hating people. I know I'm a sinner. I know I can be so easily. Even, even me, you know, us, even when we meet with Jesus, we can prone to this. That's important. Um, James is writing to Christians. If we're not in a godly way, and we'll talk about that in the end, I'm jumping to the last point, but if we're not understanding this principle, there is a, a spoiling of wisdom, which ultimately is quite negative and destructive. In fact, he is not exaggerating to put the word demonic in there. This problem of human sin and weakness can be compounded because men and women in rebellion against God which we are in our natural state, are subject to influence from demons, from the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's demonized, not remotely. It doesn't mean everybody's blind, everybody's doing everything the devil wants, but there is a sort of blinding on people that makes them subject to evil influences and actually not notice it. And there are strongholds in our culture, strongholds set up against God, whose main motive is against God rather than the good of people. There are strongholds. We live with them. We see them screaming at our face every week on our television. There are strongholds. It's not just the human beings. There are principalities and powers whose main object is to destroy God's things. And that influences even well-meaning, damaged, troubled people. So we have to be aware that there's a world out there. We don't always wrestle against flesh and blood. There are principalities and powers. There's demonic influence. There are strongholds sometimes in the way families think, in the way individuals think, which are, are influenced malevolently. So there has to be a wake-up call that we don't just go around thinking, well, you know, that's how it's done and that's fine, that's fair. There's always a sort of shrewdness, a sensitivity, I hope, to the spirit that alerts a Christian to be careful. Because ultimately, unchecked, earthly wisdom produces, in James' words, disorder and all sorts of evil practices. Now, disorder here does not mean just lack of what we think is order, everything's structured and organized. It doesn't mean that at all. It's a word that means sort of division, disharmony, dispute, destruction, nice Ds, using all the Ds. It's a word that means there's no peace, it means there's trouble. It means there's dispute and there's every sort of evil practice that comes out of earthly wisdom. I mean, you can see the extreme of this if you know a little bit of history. If you think of Nazi Germany or you think of Soviet Russia, both highly ordered, highly structured societies, rooted entirely in what this 
passage would call earthly wisdom, and producing terrible disharmony, division, dispute, destruction, and every sort of evil practice. That is what earthly wisdom does. It looks clever. You can make the trains run on time. You can organize the whole society. But in the end, it's causing utter destruction and disorder. And Christians march to a totally different tune. We do not honor, at one level, earthly wisdom. We've got to be careful to be respectful of people. But we are not swallowing it hook, line, and say, we're looking for heavenly wisdom. We're looking for God's wisdom. And James is saying something, I want to add, that is targeted at churches and Christians. Because churches can get subject to earthly wisdom and stop relying on heavenly wisdom. And we're by no means immune to the folly which creates division and dispute and evil practice and all sorts of things. All sorts of things where people are flattered in their role as a leader. They, they serve themselves and their greed and, and, they, and it leads to terrible trouble because it's not rooted in heaven's wisdom, wisdom. Let's move on quickly. They're not all as long as each one. Let's move on quickly. What then is heavenly wisdom? What then is heavenly wisdom? Well, James in verse 17 says this, the wisdom that comes from above is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Beautiful fruit from heavenly wisdom. Heavenly wisdom has this effect in life, in your individual life, and in those around you. It brings peace. It brings uh, order, mercy, uh, uh, love, humility, things that are, are listed here. These are the fruits that come from real heavenly wisdom. Actually, the root issue is quite simply summed up a couple of times, well, many times actually, in the Bible. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay? Real wisdom always has to start with a respect and fear for God. And if wisdom, in inverted commas, doesn't start there, it's earthly wisdom, and it will ultimately have quite a destructive fruit. Not every time, but not immediately either. But real wisdom has to be rooted, first of all, in a respect for God and the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. So all the knowledge of a truly wise person, someone who's got lots of knowledge, lots of education, lots of understanding, all that knowledge should be influenced by and shaped to some degree by your knowledge of God. This is true of us, us sitting in this room. You know, some of you are really clever people, and, and that's great. I mean, I mean, it's really good. But you must always walk humbly that ultimately you're submitted to God. And even all the knowledge you have, you don't fundamentally rely on that as, as much as you rely on God. Even when you're doing your work, even when you're trying to bring judgments and wisdom at work, and many of you do, this is where a Christian can be significantly different. You need to know your subject, know your stuff, know everything that you can about it. And then you need to also know God. And you need to bring God into everything. You're going to bring wisdom with that knowledge, real wisdom. And you're going to have the Solomon wisdom that can sometimes uh, just break a situation open. Sometimes you'll know how to bring peace where there's dispute. You'll know how to resolve an issue which looks as though it's ending in utter disorder. You will know because God's with you and helping you. The beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it has a glorious fruit. One of its fruits is mentioned in verse 13. It's humility, which I think is a fascinating one. Humility comes from wisdom. Real wisdom brings humility. Now, you see, 
earthly wisdom, the wisdom of this world, worldly wise people really don't quite get humility. They really don't. They really struggle with it. It just doesn't fit the earthly mindset. It certainly doesn't fit any demonic mindset because Satan was proud. That pride was his key sin. And real humility is, of, uh, sorry, humility is often interpreted in our world as cowardice, weakness, low self-worth, passivity. Well, those can be problems in people's lives, but real humility is none of those things. Real humility comes from trusting God and putting confidence in God more than confidence in yourself. That's all it is. You know your subject, but in the end, your confidence is not in you and who you are and how much you can brag and push and fight and know and have hyper-knowledge more than anybody else. Your confidence is in God. You're not driven just by your own ability and your own hopes and your own <clears throat> asserting yourself and fighting. All the stuff our society is absolutely chocker with. You've all got to do it for yourself. You've got to fight for yourself, assert yourself. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. You know, stand up, punch everybody on the nose or whatever you're told to do. But actually, real godly wisdom knows what you need to know and then trust God because he's in charge and your confidence is in him, not in yourself, your boss, your circumstances, your government, your country. Your confidence is in God. And so you don't panic you're not driven by anxiety all the time or any of these proud or because you're rooted humbly in God. Jesus was humble. Moses was humble. There is a strength to godly, wise humility. Okay, I could go on longer than I should. We need to know then, how do we get this sort of... Because it doesn't compute the, the human brain. You know, this doesn't sound like real wisdom. It sounds like you're going to be a doormat. You know, people can't cope with it. So how do we get heavenly wisdom? What is heavenly wisdom? Let's move on to our third and last question. Um, yeah, it is third. It says, t- oh, good. Thank you. It says two on mine. Oh, it's all right. It's all right. It's all right, dear. She does all these for me. Right. How do I get where I can't do them. I can't, you know, I can't, hopeless. I can do handwriting. Right. <sighs> Let's get, let's get, this is the most important bit, isn't it? Last, last one. Let's get it right. Heavenly wisdom comes in a very different way from earthly wisdom. We all want heavenly. So how does it come? It comes in a very different way. It doesn't come in the ways we think. You know, just loads of experience, loads of study. Real heavenly wisdom actually is much quicker, which is good news. And it's more truly egalitarian truly egalitarian. It does not rely on your intellect, your education, your sex, your age, your class, your race, even your experience. Here is how you get heavenly wisdom. James 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. (laughs) Really? Yep. That's what the Bible says. If you want real heavenly wisdom... Heavenly wisdom in any situation. We're not talking about knowledge. You don't just ask God and suddenly you know everything you need to know to pass your exams. We're talking about something different. If you want heavenly wisdom, you ask God humbly and sincerely and in faith. In context, he talks about that, not double-minded, James. says, ask properly and in faith. 
you come and say, God, I need wisdom. (laughs) And you don't have to study for five years or be 20 years experienced to get what God gives you. Because it's God's understanding. It's God's perspective we're looking for. It's, It's the Holy Spirit's work to give you wisdom. All divine wisdom is available to you. Listen to that. It's available to you in any situation. And it's lovely wisdom. It's godly wisdom. It's problem-solving wisdom. It's turning the tables wisdom. It's upside-down sometimes wisdom. How to deal with your enemies. Love them, pop, pop, pop fires a coal on their head by doing good to them. Look at the, try and learn God's wisdom. It's breakthroughs. It's answers to situations. We can ask him for wisdom. It is not just a simplistic answer. I, could, I do want to say a little more. <clears throat> I think there are two roads to wisdom that I, I, just in preparing, I felt this. I think there's a sort of low road, if you like, and a high road. And I want to spend the last five minutes talking about that. The low road, as I'm calling it, I, I don't want to be despising. I genuinely think this is important. I think anyone, anyone, even if they're not a Christian, even if a culture or an individual is not a Christian, they can have some wisdom from God if there is a respect for God. In a sense, there is a universal principle here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And individuals and cultures that take respect of God's ways and try and listen to God's ways, and even maybe with a very limited understanding, apply sometimes with very uh, a lack of understanding, but they somehow apply God's ways, such as forgiving your enemies and things. You know, people do get hold of this. When you get hold of God's ways, it brings shalom. It it brings peace and prosperity. God's ways always work. You don't even have to be a Christian for that to happen. There's a lot of wisdom in the Bible. We are throwing away our Bibles these days. We are dead stupid to do it. There's a lot of wisdom in the Bible. You don't even have to be a Christian to have the benefits of a lot of it. If you can root your life in the wisdom of God's Word, you will find yourself more prone to the fruit of the things mentioned here, the peace-loving, the, 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 the unity, then you, you are to the other fruit, disorder and every evil practice. There is a definite benefit. Here are a few verses from uh, Psalm 119. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. If we root our lives in the Word of God, we're wiser than our enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. It is genuinely true that God's word will give you wisdom. And if you could line your life up to any degree to the word of God, you'll be better off. Any society will be better off, any community, any culture where they understand that God's ways bring health, bring strength, bring a wisdom that will give you an upper hand in some ways in the things of life. But there is a high road, and that's what we need to linger on. To be truly wise, we need a more radical solution. This is my last verse. Let's pop up 1 Corinthians 1.30. It is because of him, that's God, that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. 
If you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, if you come into Jesus Christ, with Jesus comes wisdom, true wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. He's the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul wrote a few verses earlier than this, in verse 24, I think, in his same chapter. Jesus is the wisdom of God. So to be a truly wise person, you need to be a person who is in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is in you. And he brings wisdom. And so as you line up your life to Jesus, you cannot avoid being wise, because he's wise. And his way of doing things is always the wise way of doing things. Because obviously, this truly deals with the root problem. The root problem, as I've indicated earlier, is that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've got lots of good things about us, but it's all polluted. It's all spoiled. It's like corruption touches all of it. And uh, we need a solution to that. And we need a radical solution. We need heart change. We need heart surgery. And the gospel offers that. The gospel offers all your sin removed, taken away on the cross when Jesus was died, died on the cross. So your sins, your failures, your faults, your foolishness was nailed to the cross with him. And then you get a new life. You get a new fresh start from the inside out. The Holy Spirit comes. You're born of the Spirit. You have the Spirit of Christ in you. And as you begin to follow that, it will realign. He renews your thinking renews your thinking. He changes you on the inside so that your heart begins to be different. You, you begin to rate things differently. You value things differently. You begin to pick up the Word of God. You get filled with the Spirit, and the filled with the Spirit brings a fruit. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's pretty nearly a similar list. You'll find it in Galatians 5, verse 22, 23. It's a similar list to this list about wisdom. This is the fruit of knowing Jesus. This is the fruit of being a Christian. You will live like this. You will have, reap a harvest of righteousness. You'll be a peacemaker. You will be considerate, peace-loving, pure, humble, good, good deeds. You will change, and that will be a much wiser way to live. And on top of all that, filled with the Spirit, all the things I'm saying, you now have a relationship with God as your Father, when you're a Christian, God is your Father. You can talk to him as Abba, Father. The all-wise God is your Father. You come and ask the one who has all wisdom what to do. That's incredible. You're struggling. You feel, I'm stupid. I haven't got any exams to my name. I've just messed up. I don't know. You've got the all-wise God to show you what to do. God, help me. Come to the throne of grace in time of need. Ask, and it will be given to you. You've got the Holy Spirit with you. You can talk boldly to your Father in heaven. You've got Jesus on your side. You can't lose. Wisdom is with you. Real wisdom. And sometimes we can hardly believe it. We are so soaked in earthly wisdom. You know, well, surely it's right to do this. It's right. To, you've got to, you know, blah, blah, blah. yeah, yeah, now forget it. Let's come at it God's way. Let's get heavenly wisdom. It will be radically different. It will impact your life and the life around you. The gospel is the only way to really get wisdom. You can get a bit, 
If you fear the Lord, there is a real element of blessing if you take heed to God's ways of doing things. But you really want it, you need to know Jesus. <laughs> you need to have him who is wisdom in you. And you can. You can this morning. You can ask Jesus into your life. You can ask him to come and save you. Many of us have done that. It's no more than a request, Lord, forgive me and save me. Come into my life now. You can do it in a moment when we stop. We'll give you opportunity. And once you are a follower of Jesus, you can particularly ask for wisdom. There's absolutely no reason why James 1.5 can't be something you frequently do. Remember, if you lack wisdom, ask God, gives generously, without finding fault. He's not going to just give it to you when you're a good behaving well, and it'll be given to you. You can ask him for wisdom. Do you know, as I finish, what I'm talking about, I don't even know if I've made sense to you, but I hope I have. What I'm talking about is the reason I believe the gospel is absolutely our priority to preach it and share it in our culture. I am really glad we do works of ministry to the poor. I am really glad. And I'm so glad we do something like CAP, because if you can't put the gospel with it, it's less than 50% useful. It'll give a bit of wisdom, help people through this and that. They need to know Jesus. So I never want to be put in a position where I can't talk about Jesus. And to be honest with you, I'm not that interested. I love current affairs. I'm not interested in any political party particularly. I'm not interested in just changing the law of our land. I want people to know Jesus. Because most of the rest that goes on out there is absolutely riddled with earthly wisdom. All our politics, all our lawmaking, it's got an awful lot of earthly wisdom in it. And you can tell it if you're a Christian. Oh, crumbs, now what? So actually, they need to know Jesus, don't they? That must be our priority. The gospel must be our priority. If we live by it, we will reap a harvest of righteousness in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. You will be a peacemaker. You will bring something different to work if you walk in the wisdom of God. I honestly believe it. We're going to finish with a song so that the musicians could come up. And we're going to pray for some of you this morning. That's what I just feel to do. So as they come up, we're going to sing the song first. But I think many, I think there's two categories. One, maybe just a small number, but I'd like you to think about it. If you are not yet a Christian, if you've never known Jesus as your Savior and Lord, do come forward this morning and let someone pray with you because this will revolutionize your life. It will change everything and you'll be able to see things from a different perspective, a much more fruitful and, and effective way of living just by knowing Jesus. It's time for you to do that. The other category is probably a, a, a reasonable number. I don't know how many. I think that quite a lot of us as Christians... We, we face real problems. We think, what am I supposed to be doing about that? What's the answer to that problem at work or in my family or in my home or in, my, in myself? I don't even know what the right... Well, let's take... Let's pray with you this morning and let's take a simple faith stand on James 1 verse 5. We're going to pray 
that if you feel you need wisdom for a decision or a situation, we're going to specifically ask that God will give you generously all the wisdom you need. So if you would like prayer because you're facing something you just feel baffled by and oppressed and unclear, that's fine. We can pray with you. I believe God's going to give you a breakthrough, maybe even this very week. If you want to know Jesus, you can also come forward. Please just join us. There may be a few, I don't know, forward. I'm sure it won't be too embarrassing. But come and know Jesus. Please don't ignore it for another week.